if you are new, and, and I see Linda's heading out, if there are any kids that would like to go with Linda down to Kids Jam, you can follow her. Um, if you are new, if this is your first time visiting with us, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Because of Her. And uh, our sermon series is based upon the idea that God uses women, not just men, all throughout the Bible. And he uses women not just because men aren't available. Uh, he uses women uh, because they are gifted equally. He uses women for a variety of reasons. And we are working our way through this series to celebrate uh, some of those stories. And so our purpose this morning in sharing is to highlight another one of the women. You heard last week of a young woman by the name of Miriam and uh, Sarah Grice, uh, a guest preacher for us, a guest speaker, shared about the story of Miriam. Miriam was, of course, the sister to Moses. And it's interesting because Moses, one of the most central figures of all Scripture, would not really have been Moses, the leader of Exodus, the, the exodus of the people from uh, Egypt. He would not have written the five books of the Old Testament we know as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There might not have been a Moses were it not for the women in his life. And we know this because when he was very young, and you heard this story uh, Last week, when he was very young, Pharaoh, he, he was in Egypt, of course. He was in the exile with the other Hebrews. And, and Pharaoh had issued an edict that all the young boys should be killed. But uh, through an act of civil disobedience, uh, Moses' mom made this little ark. We call it a basket. Um, but it was a little ark, and he, uh, she put him in it. And, uh, and then sent his sister, his older sister, to watch this ark and make sure that it didn't tip or flip or whatever, right? And... Uh, all of a sudden we find uh, a third woman coming in to help save Moses. And this third woman wasn't even a Hebrew. She was Egyptian, Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of Egypt, sees this little baby helpless in this ark and decides to take her in as her own. But doesn't just take her in as her own. She needs some help. So she sends him back to his mom. Just an ironic story, right? That the the little baby that was given up would go back to mom and stay with mom till he was weaned and then he went to live with Pharaoh. So that's the backdrop. Already we see the role that women have played in the story of Moses. Today I'm going to tell you a little, another story of another woman and uh, her name is Zipporah. Some of you will know her. Some of you will know her as Moses' wife. But how did that come about? Where in the story does Moses get married? That's what we're going to look at today. So in order to understand Zipporah and the role of Zipporah as Moses' wife, you need to understand a little bit about where she comes from. Uh, so Zipporah was from the land of Midian. The land of Midian would be in the area that you now know as maybe northwestern Saudi Arabia, southern Jordan, southern Israel. Uh, it was a very desert, uh, arid region, uh, still is somewhat to this day. Um, and Midian was inhabited by the Midianites. Um, but the Midianites, interestingly enough, were sons, or Midian himself was a son of Abraham. Abraham had 
many, many more sons after Isaac, or after Ishmael, than Isaac, right? There, there was Sarah's sons, there was Hagar's son, there was Sarah's son, and then after Sarah died, Abraham got married again to a woman named Keturah. And he had six more sons through Keturah. Now, they weren't part of the blessed line of Isaac, right? And Isaac got all of the land, the promised land, and Isaac got all of Abraham's inheritance. But at some point, after all of these young men had grown, he um, gave them some gifts and he sent them off to, a, to, it says, to the east, right? So east of the Jordan, and, and then they kind of settled down. So many generations have passed, but the Midianites were descendants of Abraham. So most likely they knew of the God Yahweh. Undoubtedly they knew of the God Yahweh. But over time, as you can imagine, just think through your own family history. Over time they had maybe lost a little bit of who Yahweh was, who the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they might not have known all of that story. And so they had blended their religious culture uh, and they had begun to worship some other idols and some other religious deities. So this is the Midianites. This is Zipporah's tribe. They're living in this land of Midian, which is in this northwestern part of Saudi Arabia. It's a long way away from North Africa, from Egypt. All right, so that's the backdrop. That's something that you need to keep in mind here. Moses is about 40 years old. We know this from the book of Acts, chapter 7, where Stephen is giving an account of the history of Israel. And it says that when Moses was about 40 years old, he, his heart was stirred for his own people, the Hebrew people. And he goes out and he's walking around Egypt. Now, it doesn't say that he was stirred because God moved him per se. It just says that he, he knew that he was different. He wasn't Egyptian, and he saw how the Hebrew slaves were being treated, and he goes out into um, see how the slaves are being treated, and, and he sees one of the Egyptians mistreating uh, his kinsmen, and he kills him. He kills the Egyptian, that is, right? Well, he thought he could cover that up. He buries the Egyptian. And he goes back the next day and he sees two Hebrews, two of his own kinsmen, arguing and fighting. And, and he tries then to intervene and break up that as well. And the kinsmen, his, his brothers, look back at him and uh, they say, you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And you can imagine what it's like to, some of you can imagine, like, it, it might feel like when you're on Facebook and you send that note to the wrong person. You ever done that? Or, or you send a text message to the wrong person and you're like, Oh, no. Right? That, that gripping fear, that convicting fear. Yeah, that's what Moses was feeling at that moment. He knew he was found out, and everything in him wanted to get away. So he runs away. He runs from Egypt, North Africa, and he runs across the Sinai Peninsula, and, he, and he's just, he's on this long journey. I don't think he knew where he was going, but he just knew he had to get away from Egypt. Had to get away from Pharaoh because it says that Pharaoh found out Indeed, he had, and Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So Moses is on this journey. Zipporah had six sisters, seven of the sisters all together. Uh, they were daughters of Ruel. You would know him more commonly as Jethro. 
Uh, you might hear that name, not, not of the Beverly Hillbillies, Jethro, but this is Jethro from the Bible. His name is Ruel. And um, they're out taking care of the herds. They were a semi-nomadic tribe. They were herdsmen, and they were caring for their flocks. And one of the daily duties for them was to go out and provide water. They had dug a well. They were uh, stationed where they were for, for a while. They had dug a well. They were out trying to get some water. And, and we learned from this time of being out there that, you know, there's no law enforcement, right? So there was a lot of things that, that happened in that time where they were in danger. Near seven women, and they're, and they're trying to take care of their household and trying to take care of their flocks. And, and some other herdsmen come along and uh, bully their way into the well and try to prevent these women from getting the water that they need for their flocks. And out of nowhere comes this man, this Egyptian. And he comes in and he wards off the, the herdsmen that are there and he fights them off and, and he sends them on their way and he helps the women get the water and uh, they're obviously immensely grateful and um, they give him some water in return because of course he's had this long journey needs a little bit of refreshment as well and, and then they're on their way. So they go back to their dad. You can imagine the conversation. Dad, you'll never believe what happened. You know those, those people out there? That, you know those guys that keep trying to cause trouble? It, well, they were at it again today, right? And, 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 but, but today was somewhere out of the blue, this guy, this Egyptian, and, and you can imagine, that, Egyptian? What? Who? who? Yeah, yeah, this Egyptian, he comes in and, and he kind of fights them off and he wards them off and he helps us get our water and, and, and like, that was fantastic, it was phenomenal. And, and dad's like, who? Who is this guy? And... Where is he? Oh, well, we left him out there. We left him at the... What do you mean you left him out there? He just helped. He saved you. He saved our... Her Go get him. Bring him in. Let's talk to him. Come on. Let's figure out who this guy is. And, and so the, the ladies, who knows what they're thinking. Right? They go back out and they, they find Moses. They bring him back. And we don't know much about what happened, but it must have been good. All right, it must have been good. The story uh, leaves a lot to the imagination, but the bottom line is Moses sits down with Jethro, sits down with his daughter, sits down with the family. They, they break bread together. They spend some time together, and Moses must have liked it there. That's all we know. Moses must have liked it there. Now, did he really like it there, or did Ruel really try to entice him? I don't know, because it says that Ruel offered him his oldest daughter in marriage. So you kind of figure it out, right? Was he happy to be there or was he enticed to stay there? We don't really know, but Zipporah comes into the picture. Another woman, another woman in Moses' life. He settles down in the land of Midian, says they have two children. The name of his firstborn is Gershom. And the meaning of Gershom in Hebrew is a foreigner in a foreign land. He named Gershom relative to his status at that point in his life. I am a foreigner in a foreign land. And so his son represents where his mind is at at that point in his journey. Again, this is a desert region. We don't really know what's going on. We don't know what life was exactly like, but it couldn't have been easy, could it? Living in the desert and fearing for raiding parties and watching merchants come through and trade with you. And we don't know what life was like, but it could not have been easy. And yet that's what life was like 
for years. Until one day when the world turned upside down. Well, okay, the world had already turned upside down for Zipporah, right? I mean, she had no future, no hope, no plan, whatever. We don't know what her plan was going to be. Um, who knows where she could have been married off to or whatever, but she got to stay there with her family and, and marry Moses. But one day the whole world turned upside down again. Moses is out taking care of his herd and he um, sees this burning thing off in the distance. We know it as the burning bush, right? But, but he sees this thing off in the distance and it's, I don't know that fire would have been that abnormal in that time, but he sees this burning bush way off in the distance and it's not being consumed. Well, obviously he's curious, right? So he approaches, he's trying to figure out what's going on off in the distance over there. And, and so he gets a little bit closer, he gets a little bit closer, and then all of a sudden he hears this audible voice, take off your shoes. The place where you are standing is holy ground. What? I'm in the desert. Take off my shoes. This is holy. What? What? Like, can you imagine what's going through Moses' mind? Like, there's something burning. It's not burning up. There's audible voices. He must have thought he was having, like, a heat stroke or something, right? And um, so he does it. He, he takes off his shoes, and he immediately falls to his face because he knows there's something going on here. And uh, he recognizes something different. And as I was reading the story, it's kind of interesting to me. It's not clear that Moses really knew who Yahweh was up until that point. I think it's easy for us to look back and impose upon Moses that, of course, he knew Yahweh from the time he was a baby, like his parents were Hebrews. And, but he was, he was just a little one when he left to go live with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter. So, sure, he would have been exposed to some of the prayers. And that's, but but what do you rem- how many of you remember what happened when you were two and three? Maybe a few highlights right here and there, but, but he was raised as an Egyptian. He was cultured as an Egyptian. He would have learned about all the deities and all the different ways of living, and, but mostly he would have learned how to be an Egyptian, and they didn't serve Yahweh by any stretch of the imagination. So did Moses really know Yahweh? And then he travels across this long land, a long distance. He goes to Midian. It says that Jethro was the priest of the Midianites. But I've already told you that the Midianites didn't serve Yahweh alone. They worshipped multiple deities. So who knows what Moses really knew until this moment when God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob confronts him in that moment. And basically he drafts him. And Moses, we know, is a draft dodger. He would prefer not to go. Um, He is reluctant. He is uninterested in becoming a part of God's plan. Uh, He is insecure. He doesn't trust his own speech. He he just doesn't want to go. But Moses, God is kind of persistent, isn't he? Sometimes God has to do that with us, doesn't he? Sometimes we talk to ourselves and we try to talk our way out of the things that God is speaking into our lives he's done that throughout the bible he's done that throughout history god knows you god knows what you're thinking god knows what he needs you to do he's not asking you to process it so much as he's asking you to just make yourself available that was the that was the story of moses he meets moses right where moses was God came to Moses. 
And Moses had to decide. Moses did decide. I'm going to speed that part of the story up because I'm going to get to something that is way more strange and way more interesting in just a moment. So Moses goes back. He has this encounter with God and he is finally willing uh, to go back and lead the people, his people, out of Egypt. He is finally willing to confront Pharaoh. So just think, what, what was dinner like that night? Going back to Zipporah. I can only imagine Zipporah is really thinking he's lost it, right? Burning bush that doesn't burn up and audible voices and now I'm the savior of my people and I have to go back and lead this. What on earth is Zipporah thinking, right? Like, lay down, Moses. I'll get you some food. We'll get you some water. Uh, we'll, you'll recover, right? You'll get over this. No, no, we have to go. So Zipporah probably goes from what's wrong with you to, oh my goodness, this is my life. What am I going to do? This is all I've ever known. I've, my family, my sisters, my, my father, this is all I've known. And you're asking me to uproot and go there and do... Imagine what's going through Zipporah's mind. She's the firstborn. She's the oldest, it says. That would have been huge to leave her family, to leave them alone. Lots of firstborn imagery going on throughout this entire story. Also, the number seven, I didn't even mention that earlier, seven daughters, you, you know. Like, we, I have no idea what the significance of seven daughters in this story is, but we know the number seven is a significant number throughout Scripture. But just imagine, just imagine what Zipporah is going through. They agree to go talk to her father, Moses' father-in-law, and he says what he's heard, and he says, I've got to go. I've got to go back to Egypt. And Jethro says, I released you. Go. Go do what you're going to do. Go do what God has called you to do. And without a lot of fanfare, they pack up. It says that Moses put his wife and his kids on, on a donkey, and they head off. They head off back to Egypt. This is a long journey. Would have required probably several weeks at, at minimum, if not more. And they're off. It says one night where they stopped. They stopped at a place, because obviously this is several, several days, maybe weeks. They stop at a place. This is one of the strangest stories in all of Scripture. It says that the Lord met them there. Not just any meeting. This is, you know, it, it would be good. Most of the time when the Lord meets you, this is a reasonably positive. The angels come, they tell story. You know, sometimes it's to convict. But, but in this particular case, it says the Lord met them there and wanted to kill Moses. What? This is the guy that he's just handpicked that he's just convinced that he has just arm-twisted to go back and lead the people out of Egypt, and it says now he meets them there and he wants to kill them. <laughs> I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. Like, it is one of the most confusing parts of all of Scripture. But this is where I think Zipporah stands out. One of the most significant pieces. We, we don't know much about Zipporah, but this we do know. In that moment, 
she perceived what needed to happen. And it got me to thinking, even just in my own life, about my wife, about women in my own journey and, and different women that I know in our congregation. Something called a woman's intuition, right, comes into play. There's, there's something special, I think, about the way women can perceive things. And sometimes men just don't get it. Sometimes we're a little obtuse. Sometimes we're a little bit, I don't know, thick. We just, we think we know what we're doing. And sometimes it takes a good woman. Behind every man is a better woman, right? Have you ever, you ever heard that saying? I think that's what's going on with Zipporah. Zipporah had a sense that something had to happen. Moses, we don't know, was he sick? Was he weak? Was he, was he, we don't know, but in that moment, she knew that he could be killed. And so she acts decisively. It doesn't even really say why she knew what to do or how to do what she knew, but she knew that she had to circumcise her son. Now, circumcision wasn't something new to the Midianites. It wasn't something new, certainly, to the Hebrews. It, circumcision was something that was reasonably well-known, but not everybody practiced it. It was practiced in different ways. It was done in different ways. But there was a specific way that it was supposed to be done by the Hebrews. And that rite, that rite of circumcision, showed that you belonged to God's covenant people. And Moses hadn't done it for his son. We're not even sure, I'm not even sure, that Moses was circumcised. We don't know. But somehow, the lack of circumcising his own son. Now, just a couple of verses before, we read that in going back to Egypt, one of the plagues, one of the ways that he was going to convince Pharaoh to let his people go was that he was going to send a plague to kill the firstborn son. So was God protecting Moses' son? by not letting him go back without this act of circumcision? Maybe. We don't know. But for whatever reason, this is something that Moses had not done, and Zipporah knew in that moment that it had to be done. So she circumcises her son. And in a ritualistic process, she includes Moses in it, and this is where the story gets a little bit more than I want to share on a Sunday morning. Um, it's a, yeah, anyway, it's an X-rated story for a PG audience, that kind of thing, right? So you can go back and read the details, but the bottom line is Moses has to be included in the act, the ritualistic act of circumcision. And it's at that moment, it's at that moment when Moses is absolved and the Lord's anger subsides and they can go on to the rest of the way, the rest of the way to their journey. And we have one of those famous sayings from Zipporah. You have now become a bridegroom of blood to me. I think in modern parlance it might be like, uh, you owe me one, right? In reality, what, it, what, what was being said there is, you are now covered by the blood. That's a familiar concept for Christians, isn't it? Being covered by the blood. Zipporah is a savior figure. I'm not going to overplay it. I'm not going to overdramatize it. She saved Moses, though. 
we're not clear what would happen. We're not clear what God would have done to Moses in that moment. But Zipporah acted decisively. And it was through her intuition, her awareness. Uh, and, and I want to be fair here. I've looked at lots of different commentaries, lots of different perspectives. And, and there are some perspectives that paint Zipporah to be a little bit angry in that moment. That, you know, why didn't you do this, Moses? And here I'm doing this for you. And, and now you become a bridegroom of blood to me. But, but there are others who say... She was rejoicing at being counted one of God's family at this point. We don't really know. There's a lot that we don't know about Zipporah. But what we do know is she was central to keeping Moses alive. And she was central to the ultimate mission that Moses accomplished in Egypt. I think Zipporah has a lot to teach us. It says about Zipporah that sometime after this strange event, Moses sent her and the kids back to live with Jethro. Now, we don't know what the circumstances were there. We don't know why he sent uh, her and the kids back. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks and wants to believe as a, as a husband and a dad that, you know, when, when all this stuff is going down in Egypt and all these plagues and all this stuff and Pharaoh's getting mad, like, I'm sending my family away for protection, right? So there's a part of me that wants to believe that maybe that's what's happening. But some scholars also say that maybe some kind of a rift occurred here between Zipporah and Moses over this act of circumcision. And maybe there was some breakdown in their relationship and that's why he sent her back. I, I don't tend to side with that one as much because I think the overall tenor of Scripture all throughout Exodus, if you read chapters 1 through 15, you kind of get this tenor that there is a positive relationship with the women in Moses' life. A positive relationship with his mom, with Miriam, with Pharaoh's daughter, and now ultimately with Zipporah. There's not a lot to suggest that it has to be a negative thing that happened. But I want to be fair and say that we just don't know. There's a lot of unknowns out there. For whatever reason, we go to Exodus 18. Jethro brings Zipporah and the kids back. Um, they've got Gershom. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land, but, but also now note the second born, Eleazar. Now Moses' identity has changed a little bit. He understands things a little bit different. And Eleazar means God is my helper. God has been my helper. His tone has changed. He's a different man. He recognizes God. He recognizes the role that God has played in his life. And that's it. That's what we know about Zipporah. Jethro brings them back. They have this reunion, this meeting, and that's it. I wish we knew more. I wish I could tell you more. I could make up a lot, right? I, I could tell you a lot about what I think happened and what uh, I want to believe happened with Zipporah, but, but all I can tell you is what I what I know. What I know comes from Exodus 2, Exodus 4, and Exodus 18. And what I know is that Zipporah was central to saving Moses' life. God used Zipporah. It wasn't Moses' wisdom. It wasn't Moses' selfless act of going back to save the people that ultimately led him to... It was... Zipporah in that moment acting decisively discerning something that needed to happen it was the discernment of a woman that God used and I believe that 
we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be here today, or, or it would look very different. Could God have used a different plan? Sure, God would have done something. We might still be here today, but it would look really different. Can you imagine a, a Bible without Moses? I, I can't. But Zipporah, the woman, his wife, God used her in a powerful, powerful way. And I believe that's at the heart, really, of this entire sermon series. God uses women. Sometimes they're leaders. Sometimes they're out in front. Sometimes they have the gifts that are needed for a certain period of time. Something in that moment is necessary. And that, that woman has been gifted in such a way to be used by God to, to lead the people. And we're going to hear about some of those stories in the coming weeks. People like Deborah and, and others. But sometimes God uses women behind the scenes too. And I think a lot of men here can testify they wouldn't be where they are without the women in their lives. And sometimes those women are used profoundly because they are just that. They're wise. They know how to work the situation. They know how to manipulate things to make it come about. And I say manipulate, not in a bad way, right? They just know how to make things happen in ways that men just can't perceive. That's Zipporah. She's somebody to keep in mind as we think about how God uses women. Sarah and Tanya are going to come back up and um, going to play some play instrumentally for a few minutes. And I'd like for you to just take some time to reflect on some of the women in your life, how God has used them or Maybe how this challenges you to, to think. Maybe you've never heard of Zipporah, or maybe you've never really thought about the role that she played in making sure that Moses became Moses, this great leader that led the Hebrews out of Egypt. Zipporah was instrumental in that journey. So just reflect for a few minutes. This is our time to... Write those thoughts down on a card. You could put a prayer request on a card. You could fill out a... If you're new with us, you can fill it out and, and share that you're new with us. And, and put all those cards. We have baskets. A basket up here. And there'll be ushers in the back in a few minutes. If you have a tithe or an offering, a gift that you'd like to share, it might be a time to reflect on that and, and share that as well. Whatever the way the Lord is moving you, let's just take some time to listen Sarah will invite us to sing in just a few minutes after you've had a few minutes to process and then we'll close our service. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Zipporah. I thank you for the women in my life. I thank you for the impact that they've made on me and I thank you for how you use women everywhere to be instrumental in your kingdom, to be instrumental in your service, to be instrumental in painting a picture of your redemptive plan through history. I thank you, Lord Jesus, and I pray that we will learn much from this study, this, this brief moment in looking at Zipporah's life. May it impact our hearts to know that 
we can be used. Wherever we are, you will meet us. And we simply need to be obedient to be used by you. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.